0: So that's a clever song, isn't it? And did she sing the word sexy baby? <laughs> I, think I, I don't remember that being in there. Uh, but, I, but I just so resonate with that idea of getting older but never wiser. How about you? And, and then this line about I should not be left to my own devices because they come with prices and vices and I end up in crisis. Sounds like Dr. Seuss. But if we are our biggest problem, then wherever we go, our problems go with us. We kicked off the year with a series on prayer. Our hope was that you began to see prayer as a first priority, not as a last resort. That this year would be a year, year when you're intentional about spiritual growth, that you have an arsenal of of prayers that you can go to when you're not sure what to pray, or when you find yourself in need of God's help. And now we're moving into a series on wisdom. We need God's wisdom. See, things aren't always as simple as black and white. So our hope is to help you navigate the gray. This series, Timeless, we're exploring wisdom in a nuanced world. We'll be drawing inspiration from popular sayings and Proverbs worldwide. See, we believe that God loves all nations, and that he actually created each and every one of us across the planet in his image, and that he's pursuing each and every one of us, and that there are things in each of our cultures that actually resonate with the truth that we can actually find in Scripture. It's because God is trying to lead others to him. So we'll start with a cultural proverb and we'll show how it aligns with biblical wisdom and how it can help us maneuver through life's complexity. We want to bridge the gap between human insight and the wisdom, the guidance that God's word, his spirit offers us. Next week, we'll look at some wisdom from India with a phrase reminiscent to karma, what goes around comes around. Then we'll look at a Nigerian proverb, the wise create proverbs for fools to learn, not to repeat. Or then the next week will be a modern proverb, words once spoken cannot be taken back, like an arrow released, they find their mark. Finally, Latin American proverb, con los años la vina de mejor vino, which means with years the vine yields better wine. But today we're looking at a Chinese proverb that says, when you drink the water, Remember the spring. See, this Chinese proverb reminds us not to just appreciate what we have, but where it comes from. To remember the source of all that you benefit from. We need to be grateful for the people, the places, the circumstances that have contributed to our well being, to whatever success we might be experiencing in life. It's good advice, right? It reminds us that everything has a source and to cultivate a mindset that remembers and is grateful for the provision of and the people who labored to provide us with what we have. Ideally, this proverb would cultivate a heart of thankfulness and draw draw us away from self-sufficiency towards interdependence. But I want to press into this a little bit more with a spiritual lens. See, biblical wisdom is knowing our source ultimately is God, the creator of the universe. He is our source. Now, throughout the scriptures, there are proverbs. Proverbs follow a a general rule. This idea of this is generally how the world works. They are principles for living, but not necessarily promises. Proverbs are short, pithy statements of general truth meant to be memorable and to stick with us. Wisdom is no minor theme or character in the scriptures. Often wisdom is the way the Bible describes itself. There are a handful of books in our Old Testament that are considered wisdom literature, and they give us a picture of what a wise life looks like. Wisdom is seen as precious, of great value, of of worth seeking after. Now, most of these nuggets of wisdom are found in the book of Proverbs, and there's actually in the New Testament a book that's very much like Proverbs called James. James was the half-brother of Jesus. He was skeptical of Jesus and his mission early on, but once he saw his brother crucified and risen from the dead, he became not only a believer but a leader in the Jerusalem church, and he writes a letter to followers of Jesus who are being persecuted. And he shares with them really great nuggets of wisdom, including this one in James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Ultimately, the one to whom we should be most grateful is the one who created us, the one who pursues us in order to adopt us into a spiritual family, God, the one who longs to be our heavenly father. Ultimately, he is the source of all we need to become the person he created us to be. Ultimately, he is the source of our wisdom. Now, two weeks ago, we talked about the prayer for wisdom. And we talked about how truth is deeply embedded in who God is, how he created the world, and how he has designed us in his image to live in truth. The world does not operate by God's design, so life is messy and complex. But we need God's wisdom to navigate the complexities of life. Remember, the definition of biblical wisdom is truth applied in context, It's not about flashes of brilliant insight. It's about knowing truth in context combined with the discipline to act. So we need to just quickly do an assessment. Are we looking for God's wisdom? Or when we come to God, are we telling him to bless whatever we've already decided? Or are we coming to God actually eager for his guidance and wisdom? Are we even going to God at all? James also said in James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is a profound thought. What this means is the level of intimacy in your relationship with God is actually up to you. You get to decide. Your willingness to pursue him, to spend time in the scriptures, in prayer, in community, In serving, these actually draw us closer to God. See, God is inviting us into a level of spiritual intimacy and closeness that we need. But here's what's fascinating. Most of the time, we don't even know we need it because we think we're getting along just fine as we are, but there's so much more that God has for you. Don't just be content with complacency. God is inviting you into something so much deeper. The deepest longings of your heart can be met in communion with God. The healing that you need from the painful losses of life can be healed in relationship with your heavenly Father. The meaning and adventure that we desire in life can be found as we grow in intimacy with the Spirit of God. The sense of identity and confidence and clarity can be Discovered in a relationship with him. And here's the thing. When we pursue God, he reveals himself to us. When we go on with life without pursuing God, we just drift. Just like in any relationship. If you're not intentional spending time with your parents, with your friends, with your spouse, with your kids, you will naturally drift further and further apart. When God seems more distant, it's not because he's gone anywhere. It should be known that he is right there waiting for us to turn back to him. At the end of last year, I shared the story of how I felt my word for the year, which I don't normally do a word for the year, but I felt like God gave me a word for the year, and it's a word for the year I would not have chosen. It's the word discipline. And when I had that thought, I thought it was a mistake And so then I decided to read a book, and as I opened the book, the first little subheading for the chapter was discipline. Not like a whole lot of words with discipline, it was just discipline. And so eventually I I embraced this fact that God wants to invite me into a more disciplined relationship with Him. I had a sense of an invitation to spend more consistent time praying in the morning, to spend less time looking at my phone, looking at the news to spend less time eating sugar, to lose some weight, just to be more disciplined. And there's been varying degrees of success. We're midway through February. And up until about a week ago, I weighed more than usual. (laughs) I wasn't living up to my own goals, my own standards of discipline. And then I had my annual checkup and discovered that I am pre-diabetic. That's not good. That's one of those scores you don't want a high one on. And I told my wife that, you know what, I just need to fast from sugar. And Lent was coming up. And so I thought, you know what, Valentine's Day is supposed to be the beginning of Lent. And and that would be 40 days of no sugar. But, you know, 40 might kill me. So I'll just do 39 (laughs) days of no sugar. And so we end up having a, a great valentine's day and a a, a resolve to start the next day no sugar but something happened valentine's day evening i did not expect by the way i ate a couple packages of nerds gummy clusters they're my favorite until that night i don't know if i got food poisoning from where we went out to dinner or stomach flu all i know is i will never eat gummy cluster nerds ever again For the rest of my life. Uh, Having gotten sick that night, feeling barely alive, next two days, not able to eat anything. Good news is I lost six pounds. As David Letterman says, there's three ways to lose weight, diet, exercise, or disease. I do not recommend the last one. Uh, But it was an awful way to spend a few days this week. And as I was laying there without even the strength to pray, without even the strength to muster up energy, to reach out to friends, to pray for me, I laid there just asking God for a second chance to start afresh. You know, Lent is something that many Christians around the world celebrate. It's a, it's a chance to let go of something leading up to Easter. And every time you think of that thing, it's to remind us to pray for whatever it is we might need, or to thank God for whatever he's done. And and even though that's not necessarily a common practice for many of us in the ways that we grew up, it could be something worth considering. That fasting from something like sugar, which by the way, it is remarkable how often you think about the thing you really don't want to give up. You do pray a little bit more. And so my invitation to you is to consider what is it that maybe you could give up over these next few weeks? Maybe it's a TV show. Maybe it's the news. It doesn't have to be food-related. Maybe it's a, a bad habit, texting while driving, talking bad about coworkers. Maybe it's, it's something that you have wanted to give up anyway. What if we were to take some of that energy and, and let God really speak to us? Draw closer to us. So last couple days, I felt much better. We went and saw the movie uh, Chosen. It's actually the fourth season. As many of you know, I was in the second and third season, and uh, just a tiny person in the crowd. But it was uh, so powerful. And there's a scene in the movie, which is actually in the Bible, where Mary and Martha have this little squabble. Where Mary is spending time with Jesus and Martha is so busy doing all these things, taking care of everyone. And I felt so convicted in that moment that oftentimes I'm, I, I'm busy doing maybe even good things and I'm missing out on the best thing, spending time with God. He's inviting us into something so much deeper, something we cannot experience just doing life as normal. I think back to this quote from last summer in a book I read called Sacred Rhythms by Ruth Haley Barton. She writes, spiritual intimacy with God involves bringing more and more of myself into God's presence and receiving more and more of God's being into myself. Intimacy always leads us to a place where we are not in control. Relinquishing control can be difficult or even impossible. If we have a high need to be in control in our relationships, and most of us do, intimacy with God will be very challenging for us some of you know I've been going through recovery and once you're in recovery learning to use those principles you're always in recovery and I'm in recovery for what I used to think was a short temper but discovered behind it was actually control issues and anxiety and people-pleasing I shared this last summer about being on a walk and praying, God, is there any blind spots? Is there anything you're trying to reveal to me I need to overcome? And an owl from the top of a tree starts flying towards me. Now, I've lived in Austin almost 13 years. I don't remember ever seeing an owl flying during the daytime, especially towards me. (laughs) Now, it was high up. I mean, it wasn't coming down like I was a, a rat to pick up or something, but it was enough to wake me up out of that moment, and then to pray, God, is is that the answer to my prayer? Because when I see an owl, I think of wisdom. Owls are supposed to be wise, or is it something about being able to turn my head all the way around? You know, what, what is it you're trying to show me? And in that moment, when I thought of the word wisdom, a verse comes into my mind, which by the way, is one of the beauties of memorizing scripture, even if it's just phrases in scripture is how the spirit of God can bring that phrase right when you need it. When I'm asking God, is, is this owl, uh, the sign, the answer to my prayer, Of what is my blind spot? This verse, wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, Proverbs seven, But fools despise wisdom and instruction. See, since last summer, I've been really diving into this idea of the fear of the Lord and the importance of the fear of the Lord. Now, this does not mean being scared of God. Here's a passage that maybe you're familiar with it says do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell are not two sparrows sold for a penny yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care and even the very hairs of your head are all numbered or used to be so don't be afraid you're worth far more than many sparrows what this is saying is that we don't need to be afraid of people To fear God means to have a respect, a level of honor, to trust, even to obey him. There's no need to be afraid of God because we also know throughout the scriptures that he cares for us, that he came for us, that he offers himself as our heavenly father. For God's people, fearing the Lord is a response of reverent awe, obedience, and trust in the Lord. Now, the word obedience is not a popular word word. We don't like this idea of obeying other people or even obeying God. But has anyone ever had a really good surprise birthday party thrown for you? Maybe halfway through, you're following their lead and it's some weird things they're asking you to do. You know, why do we have to leave so early? Or why are we parking down the street? Or whatever it may be. But if you trust that person, you will follow along with whatever they're asking you to do, and you will be rewarded on the other side with hopefully a great surprise party. I like to think that God is inviting us on an adventure, that if we were to trust him, which sometimes means giving up things that we don't want to give up, which sometimes means letting go of things the world tells you you should keep, that if we trust him along the way, when we trust him, revere him, fear him more than we fear others, we'll be rewarded with something so much better. We cannot become the person that God's created us to be without following the one who created us. All the adventure that he has for us starts with fearing God. When we don't fully understand something in the Bible, it's good to look up other verses and This phrase, fear of the Lord, shows up many times. And in the Psalms, we see that fearing the Lord means to stand in awe of the living God, to glorify him. That means to improve or point out his great reputation. To fear the Lord means to trust him wholeheartedly. Those who fear the Lord receive his steadfast love. In the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is a continual acknowledgement of humility of humbling ourselves with faith before God. It means hating evil and desiring to turn away from it because it destroys us and destroys those we love. Fearing God is better than all earthly treasures, Proverbs tell us, and leads to greater love for and knowledge of God. And here's one of my favorite verses that I found about fearing God. It says this, friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. With them, he shares his secrets. You and I can have secrets with God. There are things that he will whisper to you, make known to you that make sense only to you. An inside joke. Some of you have heard me tell this story. Years ago, I was supposed to speak up at Gateway North. I was a bit nervous. I was kind of new-new to Austin, to Gateway, and as I'm driving up, I am praying and asking God for help and confidence and the words to say and and have this idea to turn on the radio, which seems counter to what I'm doing. I'm praying. I turn on the radio. I'm driving our old minivan, and it was on 93.3, which at the time was kind of Austin's, I don't know, you know, kind of culturally, you know, uh, popular music. So I turn on the radio, and literally, the song was Pretty Fly for a White Guy, (laughs) which you have no idea. As a a white guy on staff at a mostly diverse church in Los Angeles, that was their theme song for me, (laughs) mocking me, but I loved it. (laughs) It's a little inside joke from God. I was going to be okay. Friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. He's inviting all of us into that kind of relationship. Fear keeps us from pursuing harmful things. It gives us a healthy respect for the things that are bigger, stronger, and mightier than we are. King Solomon writes that if you want to be wise, you have to fear the Lord. And if you want to fear the Lord in the way he intends, you have to know him. Proverbs 9.10 says it this way. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Moving from knowing about God to really knowing God Paul writes these words in a prayer for the people that he had helped find faith. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better personally. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. The word know is the word gnosko. It means to know deeply and personally. What Paul is praying for here is that you wouldn't just know about God, but that you would know God intimately. You know, it's this weird thought that God already knows the choices we're making. He knows the thoughts that we seem to linger on. He knows the things that we've done or are doing that are not good for us that are destructive that are against his ways and yet he still extends grace still seeks to woo us and pursue us towards him when i was thinking about this idea in the message today i thought about when i was in high school i grew up in the dallas fort worth area and the hard rock cafe was new and it was awesome and i was not allowed to go there because i lived on the fort worth side of the town and Hard Rock Cafe was in downtown Dallas. My parents thought it was far too far away for me to go to. But everyone in my friend group was going to the Hard Rock Cafe. And so I decided to go anyway. They'd never know. There was no GPS. They couldn't track me back then, right? And so I followed a senior named Bruce. And him and his date and me and my date and my friend and her his date, we were driving to the Hard Rock Cafe, and he got us incredibly lost. I mean, curfew was midnight, and we got there at 11.30. And so it was not ideal. And my date, Lori, who was really eager to be at the Hard Rock Cafe, who did not have a curfew quite like I did, she really wanted to stay, and so I left her there. (laughs) I've made sure she had a ride. Everything was going to be fine. But then I drove back, and I was still late getting home, and my parents were awake. Now, these were two people who were falling asleep at eight o'clock watching Matlock. Like, this was not <laughs> normal for them to be awake after midnight in the kitchen. The lights are on, and they said, where were you? And I made up some lie about getting lost, and uh, that was part was true, but I didn't tell them where we were headed and told them that we got lost track of time, and then there was cattle on the road, and I didn't live in the country. I don't know where that came from. Like, I just made up all these excuses. And then the next day comes, and I, they didn't yell at me. And the next day, they asked again, so, so where again were you? And I tried to remember what I had said the night before. And several days, this went on. I just continued to lie, not knowing that the guy I followed's mom works with my mom. And she had told my mom about how we all got so lost and she was really sorry that her son didn't know how to get to the Hard Rock Cafe and she knew the whole time. (laughs) By the end of the week, I had never told the truth and they finally looked at me and said, Eric, we know what happened Saturday night and we're so disappointed in you. And then with tears in her eyes, my mom said, I don't know if I can ever trust you again. And I wish they would have yelled at me. That was the <laughs> worst thing they could have done. You see, they knew all along, and yet they still cared for me. They were just trying to protect me. Eventually, by the way, I regained their trust. I don't think I ever went back to the Hard Rock Cafe. <laughs> see, sometimes when we think of our Heavenly Father, we think of an angry God who's looking to get us. As I've shared with you before, religion is viewing God like that. That when we mess up, we think, oh, no, don't tell my dad. But the grace of God, the God that is in the scriptures, is one that teaches us, oh, no, I've messed up. I need my dad. God is inviting us into something so much more. He's aware of where we're failing. As we surrender that to him, he can bring healing and guidance. In a great article by David Lindell, he's describing how the great reformer Martin Luther struggled with the concept of fearing God. As Luther studied the scriptures, he distinguished between two types of fear. One is called servile fear and the other is filial fear. Lindell writes, servile fear is a fear of punishment for wrongdoing. It's a fear of getting caught, a selfish fear, one motivated by self-preservation, But filial fear, on the other hand, draws from the Latin concept where we get our idea of family and refers to the fear that a child has for his father. Luther, regarding this kind of familial fear, thinks of a child who has a tremendous respect and love for his father and who desperately wants to please him. He doesn't want to offend him. He doesn't want to offend the one he loves, not because he's afraid of torture or even punishment, but because he doesn't want to displease the one who's the source of his security and his love. You see, when you fear God, you don't have to fear God. The first fear is the one that we have outside of knowing God through Jesus. It's the fear that every person who will be judged by God should have. But when we see the mightiness and greatness and holiness of God, how could we not be afraid? And yet, Lindell continues, as followers of Jesus, servile fear is not what sustains us. It's in Christ that we have familial, filial fear. Your fear is not about the judgment of God, but rather a fear of being distant from him. You want to be with your father, who is your security and love. Our fear of the Lord is then based on our knowledge of his love, mercy, and goodness. It rests on the fact that God is our heavenly father, and it is our desire to please him. Our fear is healthy, good, respectful, and driven by our love for him. To fear God means taking refuge in him. draw close to him. Those two things may seem like opposing forces as typically we run away from the person we fear. But when you see that this is a fear, this fear is a fear, not of being punished, but not of not being with the father, it changes how we think about God. Therefore, fear God because when you fear God, like a loving heavenly father, then you don't have to fear God as if he's out to get us. When we delight in fearing God, we will experience unspeakable and glorious joy because there's nothing else to fear. See, he is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because it right sizes all of our anxieties, all of our worries. We live to be with him, to honor him, to please him. And as his love and joy permeates our hearts, it bubbles out and over into our relationships. God's way is the best way. He will guide us in the right decisions. He wants us to accomplish his will for our life even more than we do. To fear God is to center your life completely around him, including your thoughts, your motivations, and your actions. I wanna end with one of my favorite Proverbs. Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, if there's anything that we have kept hidden from you, as if you don't know, anything that we go to besides you for comfort, would you give us the courage in this moment to surrender to you? For some of us, that could be just starting a new relationship, surrendering our life, our past, our present, our future, asking you to, transform us, to change us, to lead us, to forgive us. For others of us, it may be just areas of our life that we've taken back from you. God, we surrender. We trust you. We honor you. God, hear our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name.